0: an american uh, businessman docked his yacht in a in a tiny mexican village along the coast and purchased some fish from a local fisherman he complimented the fisherman on the exceptional quality of his fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. Not very long, answered the fisherman. Well then, why didn't you stay out longer and catch more? Asked the businessman. The fisherman explained that his small catch was sufficient to meet his needs and the needs of his family. The businessman asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my wife. In the evenings, I go into the village to see my friends, play the guitar, and sing a few songs. I have a full life. The businessman interrupted. I have an MBA from Harvard and I can help you. You should start by fishing longer every day. You can then sell the extra fish you catch. With the extra revenue, you can buy a bigger boat. With the extra money the bigger boat will bring, you can buy a second one and a third one and so on until you have an entire fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your fish to a middleman, you can negotiate directly with the processing plants or maybe even open up your own plant. You can then leave this little village and move to Mexico City, Los Angeles, maybe even New York City. From there, you can direct your huge enterprise. How long would that take, asked the fisherman. 20, perhaps 25 years, replied the businessman. And after that, afterwards that's where it gets really interesting answered the businessman when when your business really gets big you can start st- you can start selling stocks and make millions millions really and after that after that you'd be able to retire Live in a tiny village near the coast. Sleep late. Play with your children. Catch a few fish. Take siestas with your wife and spend the evenings enjoying your friends. That came full circle, didn't it? It came full circle. From the perspective of the businessman, it was all about more. The desire for more. But from the perspective of the fisherman, it's about being content with what you have. And that brings us to the last of the Ten Commandments, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, where God tells his people, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This commandment is about coveting. And what does that mean? In Hebrew... The word for covet is kamad, kamad, and it means to desire greatly. And this word kamad is used throughout the Old Testament in both positive and negative ways. For example, the Israelites desired kamad, the promised land. God's people are encouraged to desire God's righteousness, to desire God's word, to desire love and joy and peace. These things are good and should be desired in our lives. But our desires can also be misdirected in a negative way, in a wrongful way. And in that sense, coveting occurs when we want something, when we crave something that we do not have and have no right to. Why would God include coveting in the same list as murder and adultery, lying, and stealing. Because what we covet, what we desire, what we long for, tends to become that which we pursue. It becomes that which we prize. I want to share a story with you about a person who strongly desired something that did not belong to him. This story involves my two most favorite scoundrels in the Bible. Ahab and Jezebel. You gotta love them. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21 and we'll begin with verse 1. 1 Kings 21 verse 1. Are you there? I'm here. I'm hearing pages turn. Kimmy, do we need to give you some time? i have give a little bit of. A oh. <laughs> okay. Here we, First Kings 21 verse 1. Here we go. Now it came after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it, it is close beside my house and i will give you a better vineyard than it than it in its place if you like i will give you the price of it in money but naboth said to ahab the lord forbid me that i should give you the inheritance of my fathers so ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. Let's stop there. Ahab was a terrible king. The worst of the worst, the Bible says. And one day, he took special notice of a neighbor's vineyard that was near his summer palace in Jezreel. Ahab wanted the property to extend his vegetable garden. So he approached Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, about selling it. Ahab made an offer on the property, but Naboth could not sell it and went so far as to tell Ahab, the Lord forbid me, which was a good answer. According to Numbers chapter 36, verse 7, God would not allow an inheritance to be transferred from one, from one tribe to another tribe. The property had belonged to his forefathers and it was an inheritance to Naboth. It belonged to the family and it had to be kept in the family. And as a result, the vineyard could not be sold. That was God's will. And Naboth was being obedient to God. Well, I suspect King Ahab wasn't used to being turned down like that so he did what came natural to him Ahab went to his bed curled up in a fetal position (laughs) refused to eat and pouted like a little child because he did not get what he wanted it's exactly what he did but help is on the way help is on the way. Let's continue with verse 5. But Jezebel, and she's a peach, Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, how is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread. And let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Stop there. So Jezebel went to the bedroom and asked Ahab, What's bugging you, honey? What's what's the matter, honey? And he tells her, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard and I want it. Jezebel listens to her pouting husband and then she tells him, Mama's here. Sorry. Mom, Mama's here, and it'll be alright. Okay? Don't you worry about that vineyard. I'll show you how to act like a king and deal with those who don't do what you want. So go get something to eat. I made some brownies. Don't worry about the vineyard. She's such an understanding and compassionate woman. You gotta love her. You, just, you got. You gotta love Jezebel. Well, the story continues. Let's pick up with verse eight. Again, she's a peach. So, so, she Jezebel wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letters saying, proclaim a fast. Also, she's a godly woman. Proclaim a fast. And seat Naboth at the head of the people. And seat two worthless men before him. And let them testify against him saying. You cursed God. And the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city. The elders and the nobles who lived in his city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him. Even against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. We learn here that Jezebel is not a peach. She is a very wicked woman who concocted a murderous plan to steal Naboth's property. And we also learned that the leaders of Jezreel were corrupt by going along with her plan to set up Naboth. She paid two people. To falsely accuse Naboth claiming he cursed God and he cursed the king. And before the day was done, Naboth was stoned to death for blasphemy. And that brings up a really good observation. Coveting, which is the strong desire for more, the desire to have what does not belong to us can lead us to break the other commandments. For example, in this case, King Ahab's coveting led to bearing false witness, it led to murder, and it led to stealing. This tenth commandment is the one commandment that can cause you to break the other nine. Let's continue with verse 15. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Let's stop. When the deed was done, King Ahab took possession of the vineyard to extend his vegetable garden. He got what he wanted, he got what he thought would bring him happiness, but he also got more than he bargained for. Not long after this, King Ahab was confronted by the prophet Elijah. And he told Ahab that both he and Jezebel would would die terrible deaths complete disaster would fall upon his family and his dynasty would come to a quick end and later that's exactly what happened ahab lost much more than he ever gained from coveting yes he got his vineyard but he lost his life and everything else in the process do not covet That's the 10th commandment from God. Its focus is on the longing for things that do not belong to us. And if you noticed, this commandment is different from the other commandments. The fruit... Of the other nine commandments involves some type of outward conduct or behavior. But not the tenth commandment. Right off the bat, it goes right to the heart. It goes to our inward thoughts, our feelings, our desires. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I said earlier that what we covet, what we desire tends to be that thing we pursue and prize. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't want my neighbor's house. And I surely don't want his wife. One is enough. I can barely handle the one I have. And no one I know has a servant. So I don't need a servant and quite frankly i wouldn't know to, what to do with an ox or a donkey if i had one so this commandment doesn't seem to apply to me are you sure the 10th commandment is written for unhappy people For frustrated people who always want more, who always think to themselves, if only I had that, I would be happy. If only I had what they had, I would be satisfied. And those are the kinds of thoughts that bring this 10th commandment a little closer to home. For example, men, you may not desire your neighbor's wife, but have you ever thought to yourself, if only my wife was more like her. I would be a happy man. And men, please don't, please don't say anything. Don't even acknowledge doing that. Because I don't want to revisit the you shall not murder commandment. Okay? We've already done that one. It's, it's, yeah, don't, don't do that. Okay? That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. But you know what? That goes the same for women as well. If only my husband was more like that man, I would be satisfied. What about servants? None of us have servants. But how about those things that are made to serve us? Those new appliances you saw in your friend's kitchen? that you just have to have in order to be happy? Or that new car, that new truck in your neighbor's driveway that you can't afford, but you just seem to have to have? What about your, what about your neighbor's ox or donkey? In those days, these animals were important to make a living. They couldn't do their jobs. They couldn't bring in their crops without them. Haven't you ever wanted another person's income? Desiring another person's job or career? And for those of you who think this commandment still does not apply to you, God throws in the word anything just in case you get a little too self-righteous. It's a catch-all word. Did you notice our passage uses the word neighbor three times? That suggests we tend to long for those things that are close to home. Things that we see on a regular basis. In other words... It doesn't matter to me who has what in Seattle. But that shiny new truck in the church parking lot with all the bells and whistles, that's another story. It's calling my name. It's almost paranormal. I can hear it. It's calling my name. And I'm wondering why he gets a new truck and I don't get a new truck don't I deserve a new truck thank you Travis for agreeing with me I mean all the commercials say I do Lord Lord, your word teaches that you are my provider. But it seems to me that you are withholding something from me that I would enjoy. That doesn't seem fair, Lord. See how quickly my thoughts just went down that dark rabbit trail? We are all guilty of coveting, longing for something we don't have, telling ourselves, if only I had this, if only I had that, I would be happy and satisfied. When the truth of the matter seems, and I think you would agree with this, the more we get, the more we want. Two old friends met each other on the street one day. One looked sad and almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked, What has happened to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, Let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died. And left me $40,000. That's a lot of money, said his friend. But you see, the sad man continued. Two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. The friend replied, that sounds like you've been very blessed. You don't understand the sad fellow interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter of a million from her. The friend was really confused and said, then why are you so sad? This week I didn't get anything. Yes. Yes. Travis gave me that illustration. <laughs> no. Why why do we why do we covet what we do not have? Just like the other commandments we looked at, the fruit has a root. There was something that goes much deeper. And I think the root of coveting is discontentment. Being discontent. Being dissatisfied with what we have. Being dissatisfied with our circumstances. Always wanting more, always wanting better. Now, it's not wrong to have goals and hopes and dreams that drive us and cause us to strive for a better life and a better future. That's understandable and that's natural, that's responsible. But there is a a wrongful kind of discontentment that eats at us. It robs us of our joy. It distorts our outlook on life where everything is seen in a negative light. It leads us to acquire more things we don't need until the next new and approved thing comes along. And most unfortunately, discontentment tells us that God has not provided what we need. And therefore, he cannot be trusted. The Bible has a lot to say on this subject of coveting. And the opposite of coveting, which is contentment. And I want to focus on one passage found in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, and I want you to turn there if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. We are told, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The last portion of that verse, we are very familiar with, are we not? The Lord promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know the portion of that verse very well. But what we may not appreciate is the context in which it is found. In context, what we are presented with is a contrast. A contrast between coveting, referred to as the love of money, that is a form of coveting, being contrasted with contentment being satisfied and pleased with what God has already given us. This verse is a contrast between coveting and contentment. Okay? That's the context. It's a contrast between coveting and contentment. Which then begs the question, how does this contrast relate to the promise of the Lord's presence in our lives? We're just so used to quoting that portion of that verse, but how does that verse relate to the context of that verse? The contrast between coveting and contentment. In that verse, that little word, three-letter word, for, F-O-R, introduces us to the reason why we don't have to covet. It introduces us to the reason for contentment. The grounds for our contentment is the promise of God's presence. Knowing that He is always near, knowing that He cares, knowing that we matter to Him is the reason for our contentment. Contentment does not come from more things. Contentment comes from a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And one pastor said, and I like this, if he isn't enough, speaking of Jesus, if he isn't enough, then we will never have enough. If he isn't enough, then we will never have enough. So true. If Jesus isn't enough for us, yes, we might store up treasures in this life, but we will always be in want. Waiting for the next best thing, dooming ourselves to a life of frustration and emptiness. We will always be in want. Jesus has to be enough. So where do we go from here? How do we overcome the strong desire for more? There are probably several answers to that question. But here are just a few to consider. First, we need to realize that the Lord who is present with us is good. He is good and he knows what is best for us. He knows our needs. He cares for us. We matter to Him. And that fact was proved on an old rugged cross a long time ago. We can trust Him. That's a gospel truth. I also think it's important to be reminded that the Lord who is present with us just so happens to be the real owner of it all. He owns everything. We are just stewards of what he owns. And if he gives us riches, we can thank him. And as good stewards, we can use these riches to be generous to others. I have heard it said, riches are not about increasing our standard of living. Rather, they are about increasing our standard of giving if the Lord takes our riches away, that's okay too because he has not abandoned us. Again, contentment comes from a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can be content with him. And lastly, The Lord who is present with us has a heavenly inheritance waiting for us as his children. Nothing on this earth will last and our stuff does not come with us. Not even that shiny new truck I want. There are no U-Haul trailers in funeral processions. We take nothing with us. And that's why we don't store up treasures on earth. But rather, we send them on ahead to heaven by being good stewards of what he has given us, by doing his will of what he has provided to us. A businessman and his friends were talking and laughing together, recalling their successes and bragging about their luxuries. And then the businessman told his friends about his own poverty as a child. He said that as a child, someone had given him a big coin To have a coin was rare for children back then. And his little sister often begged just to hold it. The businessman laughed over the memory of all the chores he got his little sister to do for him. Just for the chance to hold his coin. He told of a day when she minded the cows all day long just for the privilege of holding the coin. Only to have to give it up at the end of the day. All the men laughed at the silliness and the foolishness of the sister to hold that coin. Just then, one man who had stopped laughing reminded them all that they were doing the exact same thing as the little sister. All their labor and all their business deals was for the opportunity of holding on to a few possessions for a short time. Because at the end of the day, At the end of this life, they would have to give it up. Just like the little sister. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the conviction of your word. I admit, Father, that I have coveted more times than I can count. Always desiring something more, something better, something different. Suggesting, implying that what you have given me is not enough. That you can't be trusted. Father, forgive me. Jesus is more than enough. Father, I pray that you would take our our focus off of the stuff. The stuff this world has to offer us. This stuff that is temporary. This stuff that will not last. And Father, help us to focus on Jesus. Help us to focus on Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be grateful of what you have given us already. Help us to want what you have already given us. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. On the way here this morning, I was, uh, I don't know why I was thinking about it. I was thinking about uh, razors. You know the razors? You know, you shave your face, right? And I remember, I remember when the razors had one blade. Thank you for that. (laughs) One blade. Yeah, yeah. Now what is it, the six? Because six is better than one, apparently. Apparently. We live in a culture, especially as Americans. We live in a culture that feeds off of our discontentment. All the, We watch hundreds of commercials every day. Hundreds of commercials every day. You need this to be happy. You need that. Right? Feeds, it feeds our discontentment with things. Got to have the next best thing, the next new and improved thing, or otherwise I won't be satisfied, I won't be happy. That's, that's what the advertisers do. It's intentional. They feed on our discontentment. And sadly, that, that bleeds in to our relationship with God. Why does, why does he have that? Why don't I have that? Why are you blessing him, Lord, but you're not blessing me, Lord. Do you love him more than me? It's all based on deception, isn't it? It's all deception. It's all deception. We take our eyes off of him and we focus on everything else. We have to get that. I, I was talking I was talking to, who was I talking to last week? I can't remember. We have to get to that place in our lives. And I'm getting there myself. I don't, I, 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 you know, I'm a work in progress just like the rest of you. But we have to get to that place in our lives. Just like Paul said, Jesus has to be our everything. That's that's a work in progress. But we have to get to that place where Jesus is my everything. And when he is your everything, when you're content in him, does it matter what's going on out here? No, no. Whether he gives me riches, I'm content. Whether he takes them away, I can be content. Paul talked about that quite a bit. He said, whatever situation he was in, he could be content. What's the passage in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. You all know that passage, right? What's the context of that passage? It's the same context that we just read in Hebrews chapter 13. It's contentment. That verse, which we know very well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is in the context of being contented with whatever situation God has placed me in. Context is super important. So the Lord is, I mean, He wants to bring us all to that place where Jesus is our absolute everything. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope the Lord has spoken to you in his own unique way. The Lord has impressed something on your heart. I pray that you'd respond to him, whether it be in your seat or whether it's here to see me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love love to introduce you to him. Just tell you what that's all about. He loves you dearly. I can tell you that He loves you dearly. He wants you to know Him. He wants to be in a relationship with you. If you're looking for a church to join, we would love to have you here as well. However the Lord leads you, I just ask you to be obedient and respond to Him. Again, thank you for being here this morning. And just a reminder, next week we start uh, our, our series through the book of Revelation. And so... Uh, just do some homework, Uh, have a message for me. (laughs) No, no, just uh, I just encourage you to read chapter one uh, just in preparation uh, for uh, that series. I want to pray for uh, our offering and also pray for our fellowship time uh, afterwards. Father, again, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I thank you, Father, for Jesus, who is our everything. Heavenly Father, I I just pray that you would just help us to keep focused on him, keep our perspective surrounded around him, and not to be so enamored with the things of this world. Lord, help us to build up treasures in heaven, not treasures on this earth. Lord, I do pray, Lord, for our offering this morning. Lord, I pray that you would would bless it, that you would help us as a church to use it in a wise and discerning way. Uh, Lord God, bless the giver, and, and Father, bless the gift. To just help us, to Father, to be wise. And Lord, also for uh, our fellowship afterwards. Father, I pray that it would be sweet. Bless those, Father, who prepared uh, food and drink and desserts for us. And Father, uh, just bless our time together. Uh, Bless the food to our bodies. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.